I invite you to join me in prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Nine words. If you only had nine words to describe your life, and in this nine-word description it embodied your character, your abilities, your personality, what would the nine words be? If it were your obituary and your ep- or your epitaph, and it could only be nine words long, what would the nine words that you would hope or that you would choose would be to describe you? Think about it for a moment, those nine words. Nine words isn't much, but it can tell a lot about people. I, of course, have had a little bit more time to think about my nine words than the rest of you. And so this is what I've come up with. She deeply loved God, people, and goods potato chips. (laughs) That pretty well sums it up for me. Now, Tabitha was a disciple of Jesus. And in fact, in the text that we read today, it describes her using that adjective of disciple. It's one of the only times in the New Testament where the feminine word of disciple is used. So she was indeed a disciple. And they used certain, a certain nine words to describe Tabitha. This is really all we know about Tabitha, what we read in the section that... Sharon read for us. The nine words that are used to describe Tabitha was she was devoted to good works and acts of charity. She was devoted to good works and acts of charity. Quite an epitaph. But that's all we really know about Tabitha when Peter encounters her in the city of Joppa. It always seems a bit of a shift from Easter to the weeks following Easter as we think about what is happening in the lives of the early church and in the disciples' minds. Since Jesus' death and resurrection, the disciples had been doing a variety of things, mostly trying to figure out what on earth they're supposed to literally be doing now that Jesus' words have come true, Jesus has been raised from the dead, So what are we supposed to do now? And so we find what all this means, these questions that they're asking in the book of Acts. Now, Peter had been going around in different places, mostly in Jerusalem up until this point, doing a variety of healing with some of the other apostles at times. Peter had healed the lame man outside of the temple with John. You all remember the Vacation Bible School story. Peter and John went to pray. That had already happened. And just prior to Tabitha, the story of Tabitha, Peter had healed a man named Aeneas, a man who had been paralyzed, bedridden, for eight years. 
And Peter walked in, and like the man outside of the temple, told him to stand, and he was able to walk. The town where Peter had healed Aeneas was in a town near to where Tabitha lived. Well, it was 20 miles away. And Tabitha, a very beloved, well-known, respected disciple in her community, became ill and died. We don't know how old she was or whether this was a sudden illness or a long-term illness, but whatever the case was, she became ill and died. And her friends washed her body and prepared her for a burial, as they did during those times when somebody died. But because she was a disciple, she had heard, or that her friends had heard, that Peter was in a neighboring town. And so some of the disciples, and we assume colleagues of Jesus or perhaps colleagues of Tabitha, friends of them, went to Peter and told him these words, Please come to us without delay. Now, this was a 20-mile jaunt, not an easy task in those days, but Peter responded immediately. You see, they weren't quite ready to give up on Tabitha, even though they were already preparing her for the burial. But still, as I read this text, she was dead. What were they expecting Peter to do? I mean, Up until this point, Peter had done some healings, but nobody, nobody except Jesus had raised anyone from the dead. Now, people knew that that Jesus had the power, but they didn't know what Peter was able to do. But very reminiscent of the same words that Jesus used in raising Jairus' daughter, Peter asked everyone to leave the room and prayed almost the identical words that we read that Jesus said with Jairus' daughter, Tabitha, arise. And she did. And she was brought back to life. When Tabitha's friends called for Peter, they didn't ask Peter to bring her back to life. But they did want him to come and to be with them, to come without delay. Now, I would guess at this point in his ministry, Peter was getting a lot of these requests. People who were hearing and seeing what Peter had done, and word was getting around that Peter, Peter, the same guy who denied Jesus three times, Peter was becoming quite a famous healer. His reputation was getting around. So why he chose to respond so quickly to Tabitha's friends to come is not for us to know or to understand, but nonetheless, he came, and perhaps it was because of her reputation, a very impressive one, that of a woman who gave generously and cared deeply for those around her. And from the text, we understand that she also cared very deeply for the widows, whether it be the widows of her neighborhood or of her faith community. And it's believed that she would often embroider their clothing for them and make sure that they were clothed and cared for. It was these widows who were crying out to Peter, showing what Tabitha had done so generously to them. And so when Peter hears the widow's cries, he prays and he resuscitates Tabitha. And so this is the end of our story, of our text today. We don't know any more about Tabitha what happens to her after she is revived, 
How much longer does she live? How do the widows respond to this miraculous work? All we know is that the words of the healing spread far and wide, and one would think that the further conversions in the Gentile world were influenced by this healing, because the next story in the book of Acts is when Peter and Cornelius meet and have that amazing conversion of the first recorded Gentile to convert to Christianity. Now, while Tabitha was indeed an upstanding citizen, a follower of the way, Tabitha perhaps wasn't necessarily so special. Tabitha could be one of many people we know, one of many special people we know. And Joppa, well, well, I think Tabitha could live here in Lancaster. Have you met Tabitha? I have. I have seen Tabitha on the streets of Lancaster. In fact, I have seen Tabitha here at East Chestnut Street often. I see Tabitha in the many works of charity and good things being done by so many of you throughout the week. Tabitha has a deep passion for people and a deep commitment to share with others in the name of Jesus. She is tenacious about practicing her faith. Her works are too important to die. And in this story, we are reminded then, thanks to Peter, it does not die, not then and not today. Tabitha's work is still alive and carries on the tradition of the joy of resurrection and a Christian spirit that cares for all people. And so chapter 9 of Acts ends with a happy story. A story of sadness turned to happiness. A story of grief turned to joy. A story of death turned to life. It is a story of hope. Or at least it should be. But I confess it's hard for me to think of this Tabitha story and not wonder about the other pleas of help that Peter got. The other people who asked him to come to their home and heal their sick or their dead. Or why doesn't the Holy Spirit come today and help us with the sick and the dying that we are facing in our own families, in our lives today? Why is it that God's healing power in this world seems so random as it seemed with Tabitha? And even though I want and am happy for Tabitha and her friends, she was, after all, a really good person who deserved to live and to go on helping people. It still makes me wonder why not all the Tabithas in the world are revived, or why any of the good people in this world don't receive the healing they deserve. There are many questions we face in this world that I wish our theology, or at least my theology, would have answers to. Questions such as, why does it seem that the poorest of countries, such as Haiti, would have such a, def a devastating earthquake hit it? Why does a young, promising teenager get killed in a car accident for seemingly no reason at all? 
Why does it seem that at times God does not hear our prayers, or at least doesn't answer them in the ways we want? Wouldn't it just be easier if God didn't allow the pain in the first place? Wouldn't we and God be much happier if pain didn't exist at all? If God is so powerful and so mighty, why does it? Unfairness and evil exist in the world. And so we often ask, how could God do this to me or to my family or to this poor country? Harold Kushner is a Jewish rabbi who wrote the book, When Bad Things Happen to Good People, and encourages us to take another look at this approach. Kushner writes, maybe God does not cause our suffering. Maybe it happens for some reason other than the will of God. The psalmist in Psalm 121 writes, I lift mine eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. The psalmist doesn't say, my pain comes from the Lord, or my tragedy comes from the Lord. The psalmist says, my help comes from the Lord. Kushner continues, could it be that God does not cause the bad things that happen to us? Could it be that God doesn't decide which family shall give birth to a stillborn child? That God does not single out people to be crippled by bullets or others to have degenerative diseases? but rather God stands ready to help them and us cope with our tragedies if we could only get beyond the feelings of guilt and anger that actually separate us from God. By accepting the fact that God is not all-powerful when it comes to evil and suffering in this world, then we realize that our questions of God need to change. Could it be that the question, how could God do this to me, is really the wrong question to ask. The idea that God is all-powerful and can control all the acts of misfortune in our lives works only as long as we do not take the problems of innocent victims seriously. But look around. We all know them. We all know of many innocent people who were good, very good people, Tabitha-like perhaps, who had misfortunes. And as a result, we cannot believe in that sort of God any longer without giving up our own right to feel angry, to feel that we have been treated badly by life. From that perspective, Kushner says, there ought to be a sense of relief in coming to the conclusion that God is not doing this. God knows that we are good and honest people who deserve better. Our question is not, God, why are you doing this to me? But rather, God... Do you see what is happening? Can you help me? We will turn to God not to be judged or forgiven, not to be rewarded or punished, but in these moments to be strengthened and comforted. As a Christian and specifically as a pastor, I have thought about the theology of suffering and evil as I have shared with you today a lot. 
I realize that some of you may not agree with me. And I realize that some of you may feel as though I'm letting God off the hook a little too easily. What kind of God do we have if God can't stop evil? On the other hand, I will not defend God as though God is the one allowing this to happen. I have great difficulty with people who believe that God wanted such events to happen, that there was and is a reason for your suffering. In circumstances like this, and especially from my own experience when I too went through very painful, difficult area, times of suffering, people might quote a verse such as Romans 8.28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to God's purpose. And I cringe. Does the person really think that this is an effective way to explain away why this happened? God was teaching you a lesson. God needed another angel in heaven. These reasons don't help the sufferer or explain the suffering, but instead primarily just defend God. I don't think God needs defending. God can do just fine without our defenses. Kushner says those who explain suffering as God's way of teaching us to change are at a loss to specify just what it is about us we are supposed to change. A parent who disciplines a child for doing something wrong but never tells the child what he or she is being punished for is hardly a model of responsible parenting. I do believe in a God who offers compassion, presence, and comfort to those who suffer and also desires justice and peace in a world that contains evil and suffering. Tabitha is revived, but she will not live forever. And for some reason, that day was not her day to leave the earth for reasons we will never know. Peter will not keep returning every time Tabitha takes a turn for the worse and resuscitate her. Tabitha did die eventually, as did Peter, as does everyone. Some die too early for us. Some wish to die, like my grandmother at age 100 would tell me often, I wish I could die so that those who are younger and sick could live. And yet her prayers were not always answered either. But this story is not a story. The story of Tabitha is not meant to rub our faces in our lack of control over the dying process or the fact that Tabitha got raised from the dead and that our prayers for our loved ones did not get answered as we had hoped. Tabitha's friends, in fact, didn't ask for a miracle but they got help from the community of believers. And so, should we pray for miracles to happen? Yes. I firmly still believe in miracles quite strongly. And in fact, the story of Tabitha is a miracle. Interestingly, a miracle that happened that we don't even know if the people around her expected. But nonetheless, miracles still happen some as blatant as Tabitha, 
and others are harder to spot because they don't always take the form we expect. Kushner writes, when we see weak people become strong, timid people become brave, and selfish people become generous, that is when we are experiencing the work of a miracle. The miracle of our passage today is upon a community of believers that surrounded Tabitha at her time of illness and death, who used all of its spiritual strength and resources passionately to bring life and wholeness to all and to spread that further throughout the Gentile community to other future believers. Our worship this morning began with a call to worship on Psalm, with Psalm 23, using the words that are so familiar to many of us. In fact, the words are probably so familiar that we often miss the words' meanings. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And then Kevin read to us the words from Revelation, which echoed the words from Psalm 23. The one who is on the throne will shelter them. They will hunger no more and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of the water of life. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I am reminded again and again that God does indeed understand and know our pain and our grief on earth. God does hear our cries, our prayers, our shouts of mercy for healing, for justice, for understanding. God is indeed our shepherd and cares for us all. And as we are reminded through Tabitha's resuscitation, all of us will find healing. But most of us won't find healing in the same way that Tabitha did. Very few of us have or will. And perhaps it is why this story is so powerful, so perplexing, so challenging. There were many reasons that Tabitha was raised from the dead by Peter. Perhaps it was to draw attention to God's glorious works through Jesus and Jesus' disciples so that others may believe. And perhaps it was to assure us that God does hear our cries of grief, of pain, and of despair. Tabitha. Psalm 23 and the Revelation text remind us that it is through the resurrection of Jesus that we will be assured shelter and food and refreshing water and comfort and life forever in the pastures of God. Today, this fourth Sunday of Easter, we are reminded of the Easter story, of the empty tomb, of Mary crying at the tomb, and of the discovery that life does not end with death. Tabitha's story of resuscitation is an appetizer.
It's a sneak preview. It's a taste of what is to come. It is the new heaven and the new earth where all will experience joy and love and community. God's spirit will intervene on behalf of our prayers. And yet the healing that comes often surprises us and catches us and causes us to catch our collective breath. In the end, the gift of resurrection is the answer to all of our prayers. Thanks be to God. Amen.